0: the tone wasn't that a neat way to turn up on a on a resurrection Sunday in the right tone and and thank you for your prayer there as well that was a a wonderful way to lead us into opening the word of God together I just you wouldn't have picked it up but a few minutes ago I lived out one of my uh, greatest fears and I I sat back down after leaving the pulpit sat down in my seat and we sang a song and I left my microphone on and I was singing away there, and then I saw it, and I was horrified. And I was like, oh, no, I think Mike picked it up and cut me off. So I've spared you from that. I was singing my little heart out. But but anyway. But, yeah, you might have noticed this morning that it is a, a Sunday. It's not a, a Sabbath. It's not a Saturday. And, and this, that's because it was on a, a Sunday, on the first day of the week, that our Lord was raised from the dead. In John chapter 20, I just read that earlier in the service, John chapter 20 verses 1 and 2, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. And in Acts chapter 20 verse 7, this is speaking of the early church gathering together, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, and again we see it was the first day of the week. And so for many centuries now, God's people have continued to gather to worship him on what's become known as the Lord's Day. And so even if you think to the the Apostle John writing the book of Revelation, uh, the last book at the end of the New Testament, what does he say? He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And so it's become known to us as as the Lord's Day, which is the day that Christ was resurrected. Uh, But my outline for this morning um, is to focus on five resurrection realities. And, And we will see... Uh, the priority, the perfection, the power, the pattern, and the person of the resurrection. And we're going to be jumping around just looking at some, some different scriptures to help us understand this important occasion. What happened at the resurrection? What does it mean to us? Why do we celebrate the resurrection of Christ? And so the first point is the resurrection priority. And, and by priority, I mean that the resurrection is essential to the Christian faith, uh, that everything we believe stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection. And if you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12. It says this, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead so there's this an op- opinion that existed um, and the context there is that some were teaching that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead and paul what he's going to do in the verses that follow is he's going to argue that uh, he's going to argue on the basis that they're right and in doing this he's going to step inside their position Uh, that doesn't believe in a a resurrection, and he's going to show the logical and the faulty implications if they were to hold that view. And so in verse 13, it goes on, it says, "'But if there is no resurrection of the dead, "'not even Christ has been raised. "'And if Christ has not been raised, "'then our preaching is in vain. "'Your faith also is vain. "'Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God "'because we testified against God "'that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise,' Uh, That's if, If that argument is true, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. And so from this scripture, it's plain that if there is no such thing as the resurrection, the whole Christian faith is worthless. And if there's no such thing as the resurrection, Paul goes on, if you were to skim down to verse 19 in in that chapter, Paul says, we are of all men most to be pitied, and in verse 32, he goes on even further, and it says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, and life becomes meaningless and, and futile. And so my first point is I want you to know the biblical significance of the resurrection, and that's why I'm calling it the priority of the resurrection. And, and by this I hope to have your attention because this is a doctrine of immense to, importance to us and we have to think carefully, carefully Sorry about it because without, without this doctrine, without the reality of the resurrection, our, our whole faith is, is nothing. And, and if you imagine, a, I think in the, in the Gospel of or the, the Epistle of James, there's an illustration about our tongue, but it, it talks about this large ship and I, and I imagine that large ship, a huge big ship, and you can have all the components that make a ship what it is. You can have the big hull. You can have the, um, the crew on board. You can have all the navigation equipment. Everything's ready to go on the ship. But if there was one piece missing, if there was this great big ship didn't have a, a little bit of metal called the rudder steering it, the whole thing is a, is a waste of time. And, and it makes me think of that um, big ship and that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Um, but it's uh, the little rudder is essential to the operation of this whole thing. And, and in the same way, the, the, the resurrection, the reality that Jesus rose from the grave uh, is, is not a part of the Christian faith that we can uh, do without. So that's the priority of the resurrection. The second thing I'd like to draw your attention to is the resurrection perfection. And to understand what I mean here, I want, you to, I want you to turn your mind and think of the doctrine of justification. And you'll remember that God's law, as we've just heard, that God's law is a, a reflection of his holy character, and it's the standard of righteousness that, that God requires. The standard he requires is perfection. It's complete conformity to God's law in every part. And in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it words it this way. It says, personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. And in the doctrine of justification, you remember that image, we have, we have the picture of the judge in the courtroom and he's bringing down his gavel and he's going to announce the, the verdict of the case and he's going to declare, make a legal declaration uh, that someone is either guilty uh, or just. And, so, and to understand what's happening in the resurrection of Christ, we need to see that the resurrection is connected to the doctrine of justification. And seeing this Connection is perhaps, um, out of everything I say this morning, perhaps this is the most important thing I'd love you to, to notice, the connection between the resurrection and the doctrine of justification, but you can see this in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, I'll read it to you, it says, he, speaking of Jesus, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, that's our sin, and it says, and was raised, so you think he was raised, that's the resurrection, and it says he was raised because of our justification. And so the Bible connects resurrection with justification. And it's as, if, uh, it's as if God the Father is saying to Jesus, and so Jesus is God the Son incarnate, God the Son in human flesh, and it's as if God the Father is saying to God the Son at the resurrection. So you imagine at that moment when, when Christ is being resurrected, it's as if God the Father is saying, I have weighed your life in the balance. I've measured it according to the strict demands of my law. And I've found you to be blameless. Uh, you haven't broken a single statute. You've performed every precept. And so it's as if, it's as if God the Father is saying, I will raise you up from, from the dead as a sign of your justification. I declare you to be not guilty. Uh, death is no right to hold you. And the wages of sin are death um, and and you deserve no such wages. And and further, it's as if, in the resurrection, um, it's as if God the Father is saying, "You have done all the work that I gave you to do." So we could think of this as his um, not just keeping God's law, um, but as a, a kind of redemptive obedience to the plan and the mission that the Father gave him. And so it's as if. Uh, God the Father saying, you've done all the work I gave you to do. You've performed every part of the pact that we made before the world began. You've humbled yourself and condescended into the world in the form of a man. You've humbly took the form of a slave. You obeyed my commands. You trusted me completely, even through immense trial and suffering. And you just think in the scene at Gethsemane, through immense trial and suffering, you knew that I would vindicate you. You set your face like flint towards Jerusalem. You wouldn't turn away to the right or the left. You were obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this is as if God the Father is still talking to the Son. And he says, and now, this is the whole point of the resurrection. He says, and now I accept everything you have done. Your work is finished. He's saying, come up from the grave. Uh, Take possession of uh, all the blessings I promised you before the world began. It's as if he says, here's a, a people that will praise you. The nations will be your inheritance. The ends of the earth will sing your praise. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on your people. I'll give you all authority in heaven and earth, and you'll be exalted in the heavenlies. You'll be given a name that's above all names, and at your name every knee will bow. <laughs> yeah, and so it's, it is So it's, it's as if God the Father is just just lifting him up um, and accepting all the work that he's done. And so Wayne Grudem, he, he explains this further by saying, by raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying that he approved of Christ's work of redemption. There was no penalty left to pay for sin, no more wrath of God or wrath of God to bear, no more guilt or liability to punishment. All had been completely paid for and no guilt remained. God was saying to Christ, I approve of what you have done, and you find favor in my sight. And if we take all of that in a simple way, we could say, when when you imagine the resurrection taking place, um, you could think of it as the justification of Jesus, that his life has just been vindicated by God the Father. And if you think back to that passage that um, we just looked at in Romans 4.25, uh, Paul says there, he was raised, speaking of Jesus, he was raised, and it doesn't say because of justification, it says because of our justification, which means that through faith, which unites us to Christ, his righteousness, which has been accepted by God in the resurrection, is the exact same righteousness that is imputed or credited to us when we believe in Christ. And so his justification is the basis of our justification. And so we're, we're personally deeply involved with, with what we look at when we consider what was happening in the resurrection. And I, um, I love to read uh, theology and commentaries and do my best to, to study the Word of God. And, um, and I was trying to think of a, a good illustration to help understand. How do we understand what took place at the resurrection? And I'd love to be able to quote something from Stephen Charnock or some respected Christian man like Samuel Rutherford, um, but there was a, a quote that stuck in my head, uh, and it's been in there for a number of years, and it's by a, a rap artist. If I'm a, and uh, it was it was by a man called Propaganda, and um, he's a Christian man, just to put him up there. But he uh, he he actually has this beautiful lyric, and. And, and he likens the resurrection to a, a check. And uh, I think most of you know what a check is, but some of you might be younger and have never used one, but it's that little bit of paper that you get. Uh, someone writes who they want to pay money to. They write the amount on the thing, and you have to take it to the bank and deposit it. And, it, and it, the, the amount of money is shown to be in your bank account. But with a check, you can't immediately use it. Your bank account, say it's a check for $500 you've kind of got like $500 kind of in your bank account. And, and I said to my wife during the week, she used to work at, at one of the banks when she was younger, and I said there was a five-day clearance period before the check was cleared. Do you remember that? And uh, she said to me, no, Andrew, it was three days. And I was like, okay, it's, that's even better for my illustration. There's, a, there's, there's three days before the check clears. Anyway, this, this, this rapper, Propaganda, he has this lyric, Um, And he says, but at the resurrection, we all cheered, because that means the check cleared. (coughs) And that's, I think, in the simplest way, um, helpful to understand what's taking place uh, at the resurrection. What is it that's happening? And it's like the payment was paid uh, when Christ has died. He bore the penal sanctions of of the law of God. Um, But at the resurrection, it's as if God the Father has checked his life like just with a check the bank would go back and check if there was money in the other person's account before they could free it to say that it's it's in your account you can use it as if god the Father's looking at it and treating it like that so on the second point i wanted you know to know about the resurrection perfection and at the resurrection god declared the work of christ very very good and God has considered the sacrifice that was offered and the check, so to speak, has been cleared. He's saying it is, it is good enough. It's in your bank account. And so that, as we, as we speak of the work of Christ in that offering, that sacrifice, we, we start to think of what's called the objective work of Christ. And you can think of what Christ has done, who he is, but particularly what he's done for us in, in this transaction that took place in his death and resurrection We can say that it has, and I'm stressing the past tense, it has been accepted by God. It's an actual reality in time and space, in human history, where God has already accepted the work of Christ. And I say that because if if anyone struggles with the idea that you're a Christian, if you have enough faith or not, or whether you're truly a believer, if there's any doubt in your mind uh, about your assurance as a Christian, I, I want that truth to help you. Because through faith in Christ, his life of obedience counts to you, and his obedience at the resurrection has already been accepted by God. And so what I'm trying to say is you don't have to worry until the future time when you come to stand before God to worry if the righteousness of Christ will be good enough for you, as if as if there could possibly be a no when we, we think of the doctrine of the the resurrection, we look back to an event that has already taken place, and we see by a demonstration of the resurrection that God already has accepted the sacrifice he has accepted the righteousness of Christ, which is the righteousness that we're clothed in when we rest and believe in in Christ, so it should ground us and give us assurance that that this this, uh, this was good enough, that 2,000 years ago, um, it was good enough for God. And so that's what's, I guess that's what's happening at the resurrection. That's the, that's the significance behind the, the event that's taking place. The third thing, I'm looking at the clock and we're about 20 minutes ahead of schedule and that gives me a lot of time to fill up. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. But the third point is the, uh, the resurrection power. So I'd like you to know about the, the power involved in the resurrection. And there, there's a biblical connection with the resurrection and the doctrine of regeneration and sanctification. And that is there's a, a connection with the resurrection and being born again, which is that born again regeneration is the same thing. Um, a connection between being born again and being able to live the Christian life. And First and, uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. So you think there's, the, there's that idea of being born again, uh, regeneration. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you can see that connection and, and Grudem again, uh, says He says, we do not receive all of that new resurrection life when we become Christians, for our bodies remain as they were, still subject to weakness, aging, and death. But he says this, but in our spirits, we are made alive with new resurrection power. And so there's the reality that we're still living in these weak human bodies, but in our spirits, uh, something has changed significantly. And, and this is exactly what Paul says. In, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5, it says, "But God, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. That's our being born again. That's regeneration. God made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with Him. That's the resurrection. And so I hope you notice there there's a repeated connection in the Word of God between our new life, our being born again, and the resurrection of Christ. And in Philippians 3, chapter 10, it's a, a section there, if the heading in your Bible, it might say the goal of life. Um, and in this passage, Paul cries out about this goal of life, and it says, that I may know him. And we're like, I know that verse, that I may know him, that I may know Christ. But that's not all it says. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He wants to know Christ and some kind of power that comes to us through the resurrection. And Paul again in Ephesians 1 verse 18 to 20, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the surpassing greatness of his power in us who believe according to the working of his great might which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so we take from this that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, just think about that. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same great power that is at work in us. And I think we need to let that sink in a little bit. That is a reality that every Christian enjoys. That same power is at work in us. And Paul as well, he teaches the same truth. It's obviously something that's important to him that he repeats it. In Romans 6 verse 4, he says, As Christ was raised from the dead, see Christ, that's the resurrection again, as Christ was raised from the dead, he connects that idea with so that we too might walk in newness of life. And that ability to walk in the Christian life is again connected with, with the resurrection. And, and that, that passage in Romans 6, you remember as we looked at that chapter uh, several weeks ago. It was a chapter about sanctification. and um, Paul was making the point that sin will no longer have any dominion over you. Sin will no longer rule over you. And something incredible happens when we're born again. We have this new power at work in us, helping us overcome the sin that previously held us captive. It frees us from the, the addictiveness of the fallen human heart. And it frees us, and it's a biblical picture there, it frees us from living like brute beasts uh, that could only follow the instincts of our sinful human nature. And it's so significant that it's described as going from bondage to freedom, from death to life, or from darkness to light. And and all I'm stressing is that there's a connection in the Bible between the power that raised Christ from the dead, that incredible power, and the transformative power that is at work in us who believe. And so that's what I mean when, uh, in this third point by, by saying resurrection power. Um, this is the new reality, the power that, that resides in the life of every believer to resist sin, to overcome temptation, uh, to battle through the most incredible trials of life, trusting God. There's this power within us. That was also in Christ. And I remember a few months ago, uh, one of my brothers, um, Alistair and I, we, were, um, we got given an old boat from my dad and there was this big old motor on the back of it and it wasn't working and uh, it was like a totally depraved sinner, you know, we, we couldn't get this thing working and, and, you know, I think we got a new battery and we um, turned the key on and the starter motor was going, but the, the engine wasn't, you know, it was just dead, nothing was happening. And um, with a, we, we couldn't get any petrol into the motor, so we pulled out the um, what do you call them? The spark plugs. That's the most I know about an engine. You pull out the spark plugs, and we sprayed in some uh, starter fluid. We put the put the spark plugs back in, and then we turned the key again. And poof, when a big puff of smoke and the engine starts kicking over, I think we were like hooting like woohoo, and I think the neighbours thought we were like petrol heads. We don't know. We don't know what we were doing. Anyway, but. But putting some fuel in the, in the engine there, it, it kick-started this motor, and it, and it got things moving. And that's, that's perhaps the, the, a simple way to understand. There's something about the resurrection, the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. Um, there's, there's a power of God that he puts in us to help us. Uh, we were spiritually dead, and now we're spiritually alive. Something happened at the resurrection that changes who we are on the inside and gives us new power, new desires, and a, and a new heart. Um, and so there is There's something about the resurrection that connects a spiritually dead sinner with the power to live the Christian life, to be not just doing Christian ministry, but to be fruitful in Christian ministry and to walk in newness of life. And I think in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's a passage obviously in the book of Acts, so it's after the resurrection... In Acts 1 verse 8 it says, you will receive power, and it it describes it a little bit more to us. What is this power? How do we understand it? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so we start to get a bit more description. What is this power? And it's nothing other than the Holy Spirit. And so you could, um, there's a a famous saying that that regeneration or um, this new birth, this new life, this power within us, is described as the life of God in the soul of a man, um, but yeah, the, the fourth thing, the fourth thing I'd like you to see is um, not only the power of the resurrection, but the the pattern or the resurrection pattern. And by resurrection pattern, I mean that there's there's another connection in the Bible, and it's a connection between Christ's resurrection and our own resurrection. And so if you take a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 14, it makes this clear. It says, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. And so you can see those two ideas connected, Christ's resurrection and our resurrection. Uh, And in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul gives another helpful explanation. And he says, he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, and he uses this term, he says, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And and if you think of that term, first fruits, you, you imagine a ripening crop, uh, maybe you've got a tree that's, that's just starting, the first few bits of fruit are starting to appear, uh, and the idea is that if the first fruits are good, the rest of the crop that follows will be good, and I'm looking at Tim, because he knows about this, and I'm not sure if that's true or not, but... That's that's the way the Bible describes the first fruits. If the first fruits that start to come are good, they're juicy, they're good, you know that the the rest of the trees about to produce good fruit. Um, but in this way Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. In verse 23 in that passage it goes on it says Christ the first fruits and after that those who are Christ's at his coming. And so this biblical truth Um, establishes that just as Christ was bodily resurrected, so too all those that are united to him will be bodily resurrected. So that is the first point, the connection between his resurrection and, and the certainty of our future resurrection. And so we can find certainty about so many things in the resurrection, our justification, our sanctification, our resurrection in the future, are all guaranteed, accepted, and approved when when God the Father approved of what Christ had done and raised him from the dead. Uh, The the fifth and final thing I'd like to show you this morning about the resurrection is to just draw your attention uh, to the resurrected person. And so I just want to remind you that obviously I don't want you to leave the building and think we we learned some good doctrine and some good teachings, but I want you to be reminded that there was a person that did these things for us. Um, And so when we think of the resurrection rightly, we have the person of Christ, we have Jesus front and center of our minds. And in particular, we want to think as well of, we, we want to think of Christ as he is now. Not, not as the weak and suffering man any longer, but we want to think of him in his um, post-resurrected reality. That's the picture of Christ that is helpful for us to have. I almost want to write it on the opposite side of my wall when I sit down at the desk. We want to think of his post-resurrected reality. And he exists as the exalted Lord of the universe. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, it speaks of Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven. It's already happened after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. And in Ephesians 1.18, these are the inspired words. We've, we've covered this passage a little but Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, we looked at the power, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, that's the resurrection, and then it says, and, and so we start to think, well, what, what, what sort of image do we have of Christ now? He raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above, not just above, far above, uh, all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. And so I just, I just love that truth. That it's, it just keeps adding. It just and this and this and just to make sure. That there's absolutely no one higher, no authority greater, no being more supreme uh, than Jesus Christ as he is now in his resurrected glory. And I love as well that, that truth that he gave him as head over all things to the church. But I, um, I discovered a, a hymn this week, and I'll read you the lyrics. I won't play it for you because it's not that, not that uh, it's, it's pretty old, put it that way. It says, Christ the Lord is risen today. Sons of men and angels say, Raise your joys and triumphs high. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. And I love these dogs. Vain the stone. You think of that big stone over the tomb. Vain the stone, the watch, the seal. Christ has burst the gates of hell. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. Lives again our glorious King. Where, O death, is now thy sting? Once he died, our souls to save. Where's the victory, O the grave? And it's like mocking death. Saw we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head. Made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Hail the Lord, the earth and heaven. Praise to thee by both be given. Thee we greet triumphant now. Hail the resurrection thou. <coughs> Excuse me. But I want to I say something to you now, and I'm expecting you to reply, and I don't want you to leave me hanging, so I'm going to say the Lord has risen. He has, amen. But let's bow our heads and, and pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we confess with our mouth that, that, you are, uh, that Jesus is Lord, and we, we believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead. Uh, As we've heard from your word, we we ask that the the priority of the erection may be clearer in our minds and hearts, that it would transform us and encourage us and strengthen us. And Lord, we we think of the perfection of the resurrection, uh, that by this great act, you have demonstrated your acceptance of the sacrifice that was offered on our behalf. And because of the resurrection, may you rain down sanctifying power on your people to live and serve you more diligently, being driven by love and thankfulness. And Lord, we are reminded of the, the pattern of the resurrection, that just as Christ, after his death, was, was raised from the dead, so too we will be raised from the dead and blessed with eternal life. But Heavenly Father, we, more than all of these things, we thank you for the person that was resurrected. We thank you for Christ. Uh, by whom all blessings flow. We honor him, we give all glory to him, and we worship him this morning on his day, which is the Lord's day, which is Resurrection Sunday. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.